Here's a breakfast I always get out of bed for. Thomas's Original Nooks and Crannies English Muffins. There's nothing quite like that irresistible Nooks and Crannies texture. Perfectly toasted, crispy edges with a soft, warm center. They're so easy to prepare. It's a quick, easy breakfast you can have on the go. You're just going to want to pull them apart. Use a fork if you have to. Separate that Thomas's English muffin into halves. Lightly toast those halves. As soon as they get out of that toaster, when they are still hot, top them with butter. Watch how it melts into those amazing little nooks and crannies spaces. Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English muffins are a -a one-of-a-kind eating experience with a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. If you have not already, you have to try Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English muffins. They're truly like no other. I'm a fan of strong women. I've had a lot of uh, strong women as guests on this show. I think that's been one of the real points of pride for me. So there's another uh, another show out there I want to tell you about that you might like. Want to find out what happens when women break society's unwritten and totally BS rules? Listen to Unladylike, the podcast that does just that. Hosted by the hilarious Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin, they just kicked off season two with a special episode featuring comedian Nicole Byer, one of my good friends in this world. You just saw her as a guest on the Chris Gethard Show. Nicole doesn't play by anybody's rules. That's why she's amazing and beautiful and the best. It's all about how to swipe right when the dating world feels oh so wrong. Later this season, they'll tackle everything from why getting dressed for work is so hard for women, to what to do when you love your kids, but don't love being a mom. Listen to Unladylike now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Hello to all my fans of late 80s, early 90s NBA sharpshooter Mark Price. This is beautiful, anonymous. One hour. One phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hello, everybody. It's Chris Gethard. Very happy, and lucky, and honored, and privileged to say hello, and welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Say, uh, I tell you, I was on the subway today. I was on the subway on the way here. I was just looking up and down the car, and there's all these people in there, New Yorkers. I was thinking to myself, man, every one of these people has something to say that nobody else is going to listen to. But I'm on my way to go do a thing where someone like this gets to tell me a thing, and I, oh, my whole job is just to listen. What a good job. And then I stopped staring because New Yorkers punch you in the face if you make eye contact with them on the subway. Anyway, thank you guys so much. It's Tuesday. Happy. Hey, thanks to everybody who supported the Chris Gethard Show. You guys have heard me rambling about it. Um, thanks to everybody who supported it. Tonight is actually the, the season finale. Last one. Might be the last one ever. I have no idea. I've not received any news yet. And I just want to say thanks to everybody who has checked it out. I know it's not for everybody. And uh, who's checked it out. It means a lot to me. Another gig that I've been lucky to do. Thanks so much. No rest for the weary, by the way. TV show ends this week. I'm in Bloomington, Indiana on June 2nd. Chicago, Illinois, June 3rd. Right out on the road, baby. Maybe I'll meet some of you guys out there. ChrisGeth.com. You want tickets to those shows. Bloomington, Indiana, Limestone Festival. Chicago, Illinois, AV Club Festival. It's going to be fun time. Maybe I'll see you out there. Last week's episode, Irish Wake. Someone talking about the death of a grandparent. We 
we uh, we were just sort of like uh, grieving together, chatting together, and then we heard a follow-up from the caller right at the end. This episode was really, uh, I tell you, it meant a lot to people. A lot of people saying they've lost people recently and that, uh, that it kind of echoed some of their caller. I think uh, you, you allowing that episode to be released actually maybe connected with some people who, uh, who are going through similar stuff. That's always a cool feeling. Here's a comment that made me laugh. Told a story about my own grandpa on, the, on last weekend, uh, a name I, I apologize. I'm, I'm almost definitely going to mispronounce this, but thank you for posting. Sarfaraz, or Sarfaraz, said, I have to admit, I did think about setting my overgrown side yard on fire in my 30s. I refrained from doing it because I wouldn't know how to explain it to the neighbors. That's <laughs> one made me giggle. Thanks for posting that in the beautiful anonymous community on Facebook. Now up to close to 28,000 members. Join today. We're going to get over the hump on 30,000 and become an even more powerful, unstoppable online private Facebook group full of nice people who like to discuss things with uh, civility. That's what we are over there. This week's episode, just recorded this one a few days ago. Interesting one. We talked to a guy who uh, is a nice guy who's had some tough times. He had a childhood where he saw a lot, put up with a lot, had to deal with a lot. Um, and and also a lot of people in his family maybe are still dealing with a lot. Some of the people closest to him, he's watching them deal with a lot. And what's he doing? He's trying to uh, do his part to maybe reshape the world into what he wishes it, it could have been for him growing up. That's one of the things I've always noticed is whenever I've been through my hard times, I know I'm coming out of them when I go, I got to try to do something to maybe help out the other people who feel this way, feel these hard times. And I think this caller's right in that moment in his life. Hard times are a, are a fact. What do I do to try to make things easier for the world around me? Pretty inspiring stuff. I liked it. I think you'll like it too. Enjoy. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi, is this Chris? Yeah, it's Chris. Hey, man, how's it going? How's it going? I tell you, it's it's going pretty well. I, uh... We're, we're, we're taping this at the Chris Gethard show office. Harry and Jared came down here to help save me some time since I got two full-time jobs right now. And, uh, and a, lot of, a lot of trouble setting up the rig. We were getting a radio station in, the, in our ears, and it was stressing us all out. But I think we've all worked it out. You don't hear like a, you don't hear like a bunch of PC Richards ads in the background, do you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, that's good. No, Them- you're good. I, yeah, I saw, the, I saw the photo. I really... Uh... I thought that was a pretty innovative mic setup there with the with the peanut cans. Pretty impressed by that. Well, they're cashews, to be accurate. But yes, the the microphone that I am talking to you with is on my desk in my office, which is a mess, and it's balanced on two cans of cashews. That's the mic setup. Oh, you're right. My bad. I don't want to. No, I don't want to okay. offend the mixed nuts community by <laughs> you know identifying the wrong the wrong brand of nut there. Well, we all know that the uh, the nut enthusiast community comes really hard at people for inaccuracies. So. Oh, they're hard. They're hardcore. They're not, they're not fucking around with like Mr. Peanut and like, that's their, that's their guy. Like, yeah. 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 Now, how are you doing? You know what? I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, I just basically like right now in a pretty crazy stage of life where getting ready to move away from essentially the, the place like, the region I've lived my whole life to a brand new state. Um, just like me and my wife and our dog kind of heading out on a new adventure, uh, cause of some crazy life circumstances. 
I uh, just felt like it was a good time to to do that and take the leap and take the risk. But, you know, that's on the, that's on, that's like right now, but you know, there's, I don't, I won't dig into it all, like just unload on you, but there's just so much uh, of like a crazy story that I have to even get to this point. So, but that's kind of like the big thing, you know, right now, the last several months have just been, you know, getting ready to, to make that move and, you know, saying goodbye to people can be really, I don't know, you know, I'm sure you've gone through like major life transitions as well. It can be really bittersweet in a lot of ways. So it's kind of where we're at right now, you know? Yeah. Now, when you say you don't plan on unloading your crazy life story on me, do you actually mean you do? Oh, I, yeah, I'm for sure going to do that. I just, awesome. I just didn't awesome. want to do it like all up top, you know, have more of a conversation than me right. just talking at you for like 15 minutes. So. Right. Oh, I got it. So you didn't want to just launch into it. Also, you can hear the stunning sounds of New York City behind me. I apologize, everybody, for that. Po-po, the 5-0 chasing somebody down. Through a construction site, it sounds like. My bad on that. Anyway, everybody's just going to have to get used to the sounds of New York City behind us on this one. So you're moving. Crazy life circumstances. What are the... Uh, what are the what are the what are the points of entry? What are the bullet points that get us into this story? Yeah, so I mean, this feel it always it always feels kind of weird for me to tell my story, to be honest, because I've been in a position like trying not to give away a lot about myself. I've been in a position where I've been I've been able to speak in public a lot, and you know, have been on like podcasts on the radio, you know, just different like media coverage you know, sharing my story, uh, because it's tied a lot to the work that I do currently. So it always feels like I try to share it in a way when I share it, that feels new and isn't just me kind of like being a robot and giving you like the the PR version mm-hmm. of my life. You know what I mean? Um, I'm sure you can obviously relate to that on some level. Um, when you're just, you know, you're someone that's communicating a lot, it can start to feel maybe repetitive or like you're just going through the same beats, you know? Um, so I try to, you know, I want to tell it to you because I appreciate this, this show and this space so much in a way that, you know, I'm able to also personally connect with it when I'm sharing it, but basically, you know, to give you the bullet points. So, uh, I grew up in a situation where my mom and dad just, you know, I don't want to throw either of them under the bus. Um, but they just didn't have a great, uh, they didn't have a great relationship, a great marriage, to say the least. And that led to situations where I can remember vividly at the age of six, like staying in a domestic buy one shelter with my mom. Um, you know, my dad eventually like went to prison when I was 10 or 11 uh, for stealing from his company, um, like embezzling. You know, we he, he had a job. My mom didn't, I don't think worked like she did a few things on the side, but you know, we were always able to afford stuff. And I even remember thinking as a kid, like wondering how we were able to do that. And turns out, you know, it's cause he was, he was stealing, um, you know, taking more than he was getting paid. And, you know, so that led to me barely kind of seeing him over the next year or so when I was, when I was a kid. And then, uh, when a couple months after he got out of prison, uh, I remember one night pretty vividly that he and my mom just got into like the worst fight they've ever had. And, uh, he just, I remember him like going to the kitchen and just like banging his head on the sink over and over, like trying to just harm himself. And, you know, to make a very <laughs> long part of the story short, uh, the next 10 years of my life from like kind of being in middle school to college was, you know, that obviously affected me personally to where I got suspended 
a ton in middle school. I actually kind of, well, it's funny looking back now. It wasn't funny then, but I almost got expelled for hitting a kid. The only kid in the school, mind you, that was geekier and nerdier than I was. I got almost got expelled for hitting him with a math book because he was annoying me. So that didn't, that wasn't a good situation, but you know, <laughs> just going, going through, going through all that, like it was rough. And then, you know, I only saw my dad a few times over the next like 10 years. And, uh, you know, our family struggled after that. We got like tons of stuff repossessed, like my mom, just single mom, me and my sister. So struggling to pay the bills every month. And, you know, that kind of all culminated when I was in college. Uh, there was like a couple years where I got to reconnect with my dad. He, he connected with me actually, uh, cause he lived in another state with his, with his parents, uh, when he and my mom were separated, uh, well, technically restraining order, but you know, we'll call it separated. Um, but he would, he would get a hold of me on my space, uh, going old school there. Um, he would, he would reach out to me on my space and we got to reconnect, but there was like this whole year in 2010, I want to say where, you know, I'd been reconnecting with my dad. I had gotten to see him in person, uh, that summer of 2010. But then a couple months after that, he uh, he suddenly like passed away. Um, I remember getting the call coming out of one of my college classes and uh, just kind of like slumped there on the floor, was crying, had a bunch of professors and, and fellow students, whatever, kind of kind of helping me up and helping me out through that day as I processed that information about him passing away suddenly. And then uh, a couple months after that, uh, just you know, through, through a couple of different circumstances, my mom and my sister ended up in a place where they didn't have a home. So when I say homelessness, I don't mean in the sense that most people think of it where we were, you know, out on the street and, you know, what, you know, whatever the picture is, you might, people might have homelessness, but just in the, in the real sense that a lot of people face homelessness where it can be very transient and you don't have a place to stay, or if you do, it's not stable. And so, uh, somebody just paid for them to be in a motel for like a month um, until they found a new place, which, you know, thank God they eventually did. But again, they, they were kicked out of the place they were living, couldn't go back to the, you know, old home that we had had. So, you know, I had to stay with a, I remember staying with a friend uh, over that winter break and so we we're going through all that. And so the nice little cherry on top was uh, the girl I was dating that summer ended up dumping me like in between those two things happening. So that was fun, but, um, you know, obviously failed in comparison to the rest of it. So, you know, fast forward, like that was a, that was a big, like rock bottom point in our family. And, uh, you know, if it just, if it wasn't for the people that were in my life at the time and now kind of the, you know, surrogate family and community I had, I know for a fact, I wouldn't be where, you know, be where I'm at today. So, you know, eventually things improved a little bit, but, you know, to be quite honest, uh, you know, my, my family outside of just like me my, and my wife and, you know, her family has their own baggage, but, you know, mine's a little, mine's a lot different, you know, but outside of us and our immediate family, it's, it's, it's still been a struggle to this day. So, I mean, those are some of the like big bullet points, but, you know, all that to say, I never thought I'd be in a position on this day where a, I'd have any kind of success as a person whatsoever. Um, uh, one of the things I left out of there is I, I spent, uh, I spent a solid weekend in a juvenile detention center when I was in middle school for, you know, kind of reenacting what I had seen my dad play out when I was young and 
I got in a major fight with my mom and sister and just went nuts. And, you know, cops came and got me and I stayed a weekend till I could see a judge. And, you know, they, they gave, they let me go easy, but you know, all that to say, like all these circumstances, life definitely could have turned to something different. So to be in a position where, you know, we can, we can make a big move, we can take a new adventure. We can, you know, in fact, I even have the great life that I do. It's just, it's crazy to me, you know? So. Wow. So you didn't have very, uh, you didn't have a very fair shot. You didn't have a very firm foundation out there. That's no, I guess not. But you know, honestly, I, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been listening to the show for a while. You know, to be honest, since, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that jumped on the train after This American Life. Uh, I was like, who's this? Who's this Chris Gethard guy? Like, what is this? And you know, I've been a fan ever since. Um, Thanks. And you know, I all that to say, like I've you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard a lot of the stories and I've heard your story. And I, to me, like, I would agree with you that, you know, maybe not a fair shot, but I think I don't, I actually don't know that I'd, I would be who I am or be where I'm at without any of it as, as shitty as it all was. And I think that that can be said of a lot of people that the, the shit we go through like that can actually help us come out good on the other end, you know, and I understand for a lot of people, that's not how it works, but I guess in a weird way, I'm thankful for it, you know? Yeah, I get that. I get that. When you, uh, when you fight and you feel like you managed to claw your way to the other side of something, it's like, uh, like it, 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 it is funny with this podcast. I've been able to talk to so many people and, uh, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them do kind of have some, some dark stories. And I do, I find that that's universal in, in a weird way of that thing where you're like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it though. Like me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade all the years that I kind of went nuts, got real sad for no reason. I wouldn't trade them. They got me, they turned me into who I am, but man, they were rough. I got a lot, I got a lot of questions for you, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Some of them might be painful, but that's how I do. You've been listening to the show for a while. You know that. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with that. That's what, you know, that's one of the things I love about it. Like, let's, let's get deep, man. Let's go. Here's, here's, okay. I have a few, okay. I'm just going to start, I'm going to start with the hardest ones so we can get it out of the way. As far as just what I've heard, I'm sure there'll be more hard ones to come. Um, but the whole situation with your dad, I mean, man, that sound that sounds uh like a really rough set of circumstances to see growing up. Sounds like he was, you know, really a character to say the least. Here's a question I have is when he leaves your life and then I'm sure you have so many feelings. You've seen him be violent, you understand that he committed crime. A lot of I think your pain you probably can attribute to that, it sounds like. So now you reconnect with him. And then he passes away suddenly. I can't, I would have to imagine there's, there's, there's a part of you that feels grateful to have reconnected with him. And there's a part of you that must feel like, why did life do that? Was that almost harder to have reconnected when he passed away? Yeah. You know, first of all, I have to say, I, I'm terrible at processing grief. So the reality is that, you know, it's been, like what, almost eight years this September. And I still don't think I've let myself fully, you know, go through the emotions of something like that. Uh, I'm somebody that I, I don't, I don't know if it's, I I don't know what it is. I just try and like, I try and keep a pretty, like, I'm good. You know, I I try and like push some of that stuff down. Um, but I mean, to answer your question, I I thought of it both ways. So like, yeah, I, I, I see a universe where, we, we never, 
reconnected and I can maintain that level of detachment from him so that when he passes away, it's maybe not as affecting as it was the other way because we were building a relationship and, you know, he was, excuse me, he was trying his best. He was helping me out like in school to pay for stuff. He was, excuse me, um, you know, like I said, we were, we were trying to reconnect and then it, it just felt like it was all taken away suddenly. But I got to be honest, where I landed at the end of the day, quite simply, is that I I know so many people that have family issues or have lost loved ones that have never gotten to have any type of closure whatsoever. So granted, while it was sudden and it was, you know, the cherry on top of a really crappy situation and, and just feeling like, I never really had a dad my whole life and how that's affected me. Um, I, at the end of the day, I just landed where I was thankful. And I, I don't mean to sound like, like positive to the point where I'm like washing over it, but I was just truly thankful that we got to reconnect and that we got to talk and, and, and say, you know, I love you say, I'm sorry, say, I forgive you. Because when he sat down and shared his story with me of like, he filled in the gaps of those 10 years, I actually took pity on the man because apparently after that whole thing where I left off where he and my mom had that fight and he's out of the picture. He's the next 10 years for him are living in, uh, living in like a local homeless shelter for a while, uh, being down and out, like just getting into all sorts of, you know, he always had like, I th- he always had like addiction issues come when he, you know, when it came to like sexual things, especially. So like he, he would get into all sorts of crazy stuff with that, like going to not, and I'm not, you know, I'm not to spit, it's not to, dis- but it, like he would, he just seemed really down now. Like he was going, he told me he'd go to strip clubs. Like he would, you know, he would, he would just get into all this stuff. He was homeless. He was, you know, so he had his own, he had his own level of shit that he was going through within that 10 years. So all that to say, when we met up, uh, I actually, you know, like I said, I was thankful for that. And I, and I took pity on the guy and, you know, like, well, he's, he's trying to turn his life around. By that point, he was, managing a restaurant he was taking care of his parents and he was he was trying to get his life back on track when we reconnected and he was willing to apologize and i was willing to accept it so at the end of the day it was a good thing you know so you did manage even though even though there was a level of injustice to it you know like what the hell (laughs) so you you did manage to forgive him in the end yeah i i'm bad at forgiveness too (laughs) (laughs) i just i am i'm bad at that also and but I, i think with him to me, it was more than just saying, I forgive you, which I did say that it was over the next eight years since his passing, holding a memory of him that like, man, I'm thankful that we shared those few months together, if, if nothing else. Right. I don't, right. I think more about that than the shitty stuff, you know? That's good. I mean, that's a good, that's a good gift at the end, right? There's, yeah. I feel bad I asked that question. No, not at all. I don't feel bad. I've. Yeah, it's all good, man. Yeah, because there's a part of me that's like, man, this guy calling, he's beating people up and causing all this chaos. Maybe you want him to go away and just never see him again. Maybe reconnecting is more painful. But that is good to hear that forgiveness does. You know, I don't think it's bullshit that being able to, uh, being able to look someone in the eye, say what you have to say, hear what they have to say back, and then forgive has some, some healing qualities in a real way. I think that's good to hear. Yeah, for sure. So you were, uh, let, I'm, I'm actually pretty, I get a little worked up when I hear stories like yours. 
Cause you were, uh, tell, let me know, were you, were you like that kid in school? In, in the sense of like, my town, my town had a bunch of kids like this. And I always thought it was so fucking unfair, if I'm being honest. You had kids who had uh, maybe landed in some, some circumstances not of their choosing, who had to be tough or had to live a little tough or little, were a little rougher on the edges. And uh, there's one kid in particular I was friends with who, I got to say, your story really reminds me of. Especially when you're saying like you were the nerdy kid. I mean, you you got expelled for hitting someone with a math book. That kind of tells a lot. That image tells a lot about the two sides of you, right? Yeah. Oh, and and mind you, it was the it was the kid that like if I was the least liked and most bullied kid in school, it was the kid that just edged me out for the for the crown in our school that I did that to. But so the, maybe I was resenting him. I don't know. Maybe I wanted to be the nerdiest. Who knows? <laughs> but you're still almost getting expelled. How do you look back at like when you, when you're a kid when 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 you're a kid and you're in those rough circumstances, and teachers respond by trying to um, expel you? I, I guess what I'm trying to ask. I'm sorry, I'm rambling so much. It's like, do you look back at how other adults handled you and 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 have any resentment or questions? I always felt like there were kids in my town who people knew had it rough. And those kids, adults just kind of gave them shit, man. Did you run into that? Yeah, I, I did. I get what you're saying. I got, I will say the most shit I got by far was from my, my peers, my fellow students. I really? got, I got bullied and harassed all the time. I mean, just endlessly, relentlessly. Oof. And it was, it was one of those classic situations. So, uh, you know, I, like I'm a, I'm a Cavs fan. Right. And so sometimes people will accuse LeBron or, or I was watching the Pacers Cavs series and Lance Stevenson just kept like bugging him and annoying him and bullying him. Yeah, and he did. he'd react. Yeah, he did. Which I'm not going to defend LeBron. Like, you know, he can. Anyway, so he I do want to defend LeBron. But hey, look, that's not, that's he's not the king. Um, the world is realizing so this. The world is starting to yeah. realize. And I'm a big NBA fan myself. This guy might this guy might officially be holding a flame to Jordan and it's starting to be taken real seriously. He's also gonna get there's people gonna start taking some shots at the king. Lance Stevenson's yes, gonna blow in your you. ear every once in a while when you're the king. I don't think anybody doubts that he's the greatest player. Uh I mean I was lucky. I'm of an age where I saw I remember watching Jordan beat up on my New York Knicks back in the nineties. Got to see them both play live. I mean, LeBron is clearly the closest thing, right? Oh, for sure. So all right, let's well. Uh, two thirty-second sidetrack here. So yeah. Who, in your opinion, is the greatest NBA player of all time? We got to pause right there. I want everybody, because I know beautiful anonymous fans, universally sports fans as well. Everybody, take a breath. Think of who your favorite NBA player of all time is. Who's the best in your mind? Ponder it. Take it seriously. And while you're doing so, we got ads coming up. So check out these products and services. Use the promo codes. It helps the show when you do. We'll be right back with more phone call. Studying for standardized tests doesn't have to be boring or stressful. Magoosh Online Test Prep provides students everywhere with effective, accessible, and enjoyable test prep for exams like the GRE, GMAT, ACT, SAT, and IELTS. At Magoosh.com, you'll find tons of practice questions, study schedules, video lessons, and access to our expert tutor team if you need extra help. 
If you're retaking the test, Magoosh offers a score improvement guarantee. Study materials are always up to date and super relevant to the questions students will be answering on the actual tests. Here's a few testimonials from students who have used and loved Magoosh. Quote, I liked that it was an online prep tool, and when I read about its video lessons, flashcard apps, and score predictors, I was sold. Its features are unique and a refreshing change from the commonplace prep tools that offer practice questions and practice tests. End quote. Here's another one. Magoosh seemed to be by far the best option, a program I could use whenever I liked, following my own schedule. Here's an, yet another endorsement for Magoosh. When I saw my score, I was so happy I wanted to cry. Visit Magoosh, that's M-A-G-O-O-S-H dot com. Enter the promo code BEAUTIFUL for a 20% off discount. Happy to be here telling you about a podcast that I think is really an amazing thing, a podcast I've been a guest on, a podcast that is always fun. That's hosted by one of the true original people in this world on the show who charted. Comedian Howard Kramer brings on his funniest friends to discuss the top five songs and movies of the week. You guys would love Howard. He's real original. He's a real character. Like I said, he's a true gentleman of New Jersey, and I've only connected with him once or twice in my life, but we really hit it off. Hope I get to catch up with him again soon because he's great. And his podcast, Who Charted, is great. Recently, he's been joined by Natasha Leggero as co-host. You may know from shows like Another Period or the Honeymoon Stand-Up Special on Netflix. Talk about everything from mumble rap to new country music. Debate Neil Young versus Jimmy Buffett. And which movies seem too loud. Plus, each episode, Howard, Natasha, and the guest also share their hot picks with listeners. Things that they recommend over all the garbage on the charts. Recent guests include actor and writer Ben Schwartz, comedians John Early and Kate Berlant, and Earwolf's own Paul F. Tompkins. So listen to Who Charted on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks to all the advertisers who help us bring beautiful anonymous into the world. Now let's get back to the phone call. 30-second sidetrack here. So yeah. Who in your opinion, is the greatest NBA player of all time? I mean, Michael Jordan. Having seen both. Michael Jordan is the best. But then you start to read stats that are like, LeBron's never lost a first-round playoff series, and Jordan lost three, and you're like, yeah. And then you're like, LeBron went to the final seven years in a row. That's insane. But he didn't close on all of them, you know, and make all the excuses about his supporting staff that you want. He's had other all-stars in there too, you know. Obviously, Pippen, I think, is in the running for one of the most underrated or undervalued players of all time because he's always in the shadow of Jordan. Pippen probably could have carried an entire team by himself elsewhere. That being said, I still got to go with Jordan, right? I mean, he set the world on fire. I don't know if LeBron's quite done that in the same way. No, so I I live in I think I can always say that much. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I grew I, I grew up, watching Jordan. I mean, I'm almost 30, so I am, I am younger, but I'm old enough that I remember watching Jordan as a kid and thinking, I hate this guy because he's so effing unstoppable and he's always going to win. And the NBA sucks because he's just going to win championship year after year after year. Oh, he's playing baseball. Thank God. Oh, he went to the wizards. Awesome. Get him out of here. Like, so the specter of what Michael Jordan did is loomed so large that you just forget about, you know, some of the stats like he he didn't, you know, there all the success he didn't have from like when he was drafted to that first championship and all the struggles and the fact that he retired twice and so I'm as an as a irrational um, yeah. I'm like you know I'm I'm gonna tweet out LeBron go all day every day but as a rational NBA fan I'd probably have to agree 
probably Jordan and then LeBron right now. Yeah. Because, so. I mean, I had the Knicks. At least we were going to the playoffs when he beat up on us every year. You guys had what? Mark Price? Was he your best player back then? The Cavs? Mark yeah, I mean, we had Mark Price, Craig Elo, Larry Nance Sr. You know, we had Brad Doherty. We had some stuff rocking. So yeah. It wasn't, you know, it was okay. We're it, talking you know, Larry Nance Sr. Okay. 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 <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, back. <laughs> Uh, which, oddly enough, I think I went to church with Mark Price when I was a kid. I <laughs> met him. Or, or, so. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a total homer. I have so. to say, <laughs> fans of this podcast are known for loving uh, honesty, humor, empathy, emotional vulnerability. This is the f- deepest we've ever delved into sports. You and me talking about going to church with Mark Price, <laughs> the white guy sharpshooter from the 80s uh, cabs. Listen, man, if I... If we if we had another hour, I would just talk sports with you for a whole hour. I talk sports. I talk WWE. Like Ooh. I was the biggest wrestling fan all really? through high school. All time top five. I had all the action figures. All time top huh? five. All time top five. All time top five WWE. All right. Oh man, putting it on the spot here. So do I have to go like objective best or can I go favorite? Favorites. Wrestling is fake. You can go favorites. Okay. Definitely Undertaker. Wow. Right. Okay. Uh, I gotta go. I gotta go. Kane. I just. I loved. Maybe it was my dark childhood. I don't know. I just love the vibe. I love the vibe they had. Um, uh, third would probably be Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, fourth, honestly, Goldberg. Like that dude was unstoppable. Like mm-hmm. he, he had like 150 wins in a row. Like he would. I mean, nobody could beat Goldberg. And then probably fifth was like honestly Kevin Nash because I'm a really tall guy. So maybe I just related to the big sexy yeah. part of it. You know, like powerbombing people so yeah oh crap forget about the rock all right i'm gonna have to do like top 10 all right never mind never mind all right yeah i go rick flair roddy piper jake the snake roberts million dollar man ted DiBiase, and i throw the great muda in there he was a w i'm a little older than you he's a wcw guy and i've also i've been going back watching all the tiger mask matches from the early 80s insane Anyway, nice. so you got picked up. So you got picked up. Let's get back. Let's get back on track. You got me. So the okay, ki- can I ask you one last question about wrestling? <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we could did just you, talk the you, whole time about wrestling if you want. <laughs> we could. I'd love I'm that. Sorry, I'm sorry. Did you Did you watch the Andre the Giant doc? Yes, I did. I thought it was great. What did you What did you think? I liked it. I liked that they showed his human side. It's tough because you know you hear all these stories about his drinking and his how he couldn't use regular bathrooms and and. uh all this stuff, and then you, you really, you, I think that documentary did a good job of realizing, like, oh, yeah, those are urban myths, and there's something so funny about hearing how a guy that big has to poop on a plane, but then also, you got to remember, <laughs> it made him such an oddity, and his life was full of a lot of, like, pain and isolation, and uh, I, thought it, I thought it showed all the different sides of a very interesting life. Kudos to HBO yeah. for putting out dynamite content, like the Andre the Giant documentary, and Career Suicide. Thank you that i will i would i mean i was gonna say it for you so you didn't have to you no, know i'll go promote. i was gonna be like and career suicide but yeah well, no i'm shameless i'm shameless i'm happy to go there what if we did what if we ignore, ignored <laughs> okay. your whole life story and talked about wrestling for the <laughs> remaining remaining 33 minutes of this call wrestling and 80s basketball and yeah oh yeah well yeah mark price um, early 90s listen man i I wouldn't be, listen. I wouldn't be upset by that, but I feel like maybe some of the listeners would be <laughs> yeah. like, "Hey, what the heck? What about their stuff?" Yeah. We've teased a lot of stuff. We have teased a lot of stuff. You were saying though, so do, these other kids. What you, so you took it on the chin from the other. So you, you already got it at home, where you're around a lot of violence, a lot of instability. Now you're going to school, and the other kids. Do you feel like they maybe sensed like sensed your um, 
vulnerability? Was it like that thing? Like they just sensed the uh, that you were you were prey and they were predators. Was it that, or or were you acting out because you did have a bad home? What caused the school life to go so bad? Yeah. So the reason I brought up the the Lance Stevenson and LeBron feud is I was LeBron in that scenario growing up. Uh, I I played basketball my whole life, but not as good as him by a long shot. Um, you know, he's top two, but I was LeBron in the sense that like the kids would poke and prod at me and get under my skin and know what to say or how to pick at me. But I got in trouble for reacting back. So a kid would say something or make fun of me or whatever. And I'd, I'd flip them off and I'm, you know, instantly I get in trouble or somebody, you know, is like, like, like literally one time, I think I had a girl spit in my face and I think I, I, I just, I just started yelling or something. I don't know. I was just, you know, I'm this like little kid. I'm like, what the heck? Why did you spit in my face? And, you know, I'm the one that gets in, I'm the one that got in trouble and I'm not playing the victim card. Like other kids will get in trouble a lot too, but because I had that such like a reactionary nature to the bullying and to getting picked on to where I didn't just like sit there and take it, but I would get angry and I'd lash out. And I like, I never, you know, I never like hit anyone or be, cause I didn't, A, I didn't want to and B, I just, you know, I was a swimpy little kid. I didn't, have it in me and I didn't want to get beat up, but you know, a prime example is one time, uh, you know, my, my best friend for a long time, which this was definitely a moment. He wasn't my best friend, but my best friend and his brother and a couple of kids were, you know, we were all walking through a baseball field on our way home from school. And, uh, I got in a fight with my best friend's brother or something. We just started yelling at each other. And so I walked the opposite way. They're walking the other way. And I turn around and I, I yell like, fuck you guys. And I start flipping them off or whatever. Cause I'm just, you know, I'm that angry, classic angry kid or whatever. And one of the friends that was walking with us for whatever reason, gets super pissed at me and just like, like starts bolting at me, like going a hundred miles per hour. I'm like, Oh shit. And I got my, I got my book bag on. So I'm like, I'm like trudging through the, you know, field trying to get away. And he just like tackles me and starts beating me up. And like that was, that's just the kind of trouble I got myself in, you know? So Part of it was like, yeah, kids could smell blood in the water. You know, that's how kids are, unfortunately. It's how they can be. Um, they view someone like weaker than them or whatever. They're going to go for the jugular. But part of it was like, you know, part of it I brought on myself because, you know, I just, I didn't know how to handle all the stuff that was happening at home and then was happening at school. And as far as you're asking about the adults, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I got singled out as the, the troublemaker, the, you know, quote, troubled kid a lot in school. Um again, same reason I brought some of it on myself. Like the time that I told a bunch of friends, I was going to, this was in middle school. I told a bunch of friends that I was going to like poison the school or that I had enough or whatever. And mind you, like, what the hell? Like, what, what am I going to, I don't know how to like, you know, I'm just like flapping my jaw. And then, and then one of this girl, I had a huge crush on, she like called the safety school helpline on me and I think that was one of the times I got suspended. So, you know, it was both ways, man. Like some of it I brought on myself. Some of it was just unfair, you know, judging or whatever, people not knowing how to handle me. So, I hear you. I feel like that is a thing. That's such an archetype I remember so well from school. I think my brother, my brother and I, you know, my brother, uh, he got, he got, we both, I mean, we both took some bull and he, he had it worse than I did. He's a little older than I did. It's that thing you say of like, yeah, and then you start to bring it on yourself because... 
you know, nobody's really standing up for you and you don't quite know the correct way to stand up for yourself and you wind up running your mouth even more and things just compound. And the next thing you know, you're in this like loop. How old, how old were you when you started to realize that, uh, that you had gotten the short end of the stick in a lot of ways? Oh man. Um, I think like now, Oh wow. Like if I can be honest, like seriously, I got I've been thinking about that a lot how you know the older you get the more you start to kind of look back on the totality of your life and you, for me at least it starts to and I'm not old, you know, I'm about to turn 30 but like you start to settle in more of like oh this is the this is literally the only life I get. And you know, I again, I want to be so careful about how I word it because in all reality, she's probably not going to listen, but like, like I was telling you at the start, uh, you know, I've, I've shared my story a lot publicly and, um, inadvertently a few times to put my mom in a situation where she feels like I'm, and I don't try to do this whatsoever. And I think 95% of the time I'm just saying innocuous things and she kind of takes it their own way, but I put her in a position sometimes where she feels like I'm putting her stuff out there, calling her out or whatever. So I want to be careful. I say it, but like, you know, a big reason I think I say now, as far as realizing getting the short end is like my whole life, my mom has struggled with, um, just like, I think undiagnosed, uh, mental, mental issues for a very vague way to put it. I'm no mental health expert. And like I said, undiagnosed, I couldn't begin to tell you what it is, but she has her own very painful childhood story where her dad and mom would abuse each other and she was abused as a child. And, um, you know, so she, and, and obviously the situation with my dad. So, so I have nothing but empathy and love for her. And she absolutely, like, I will praise her to the end of the day that she did her best as like a single mom to, to raise my sister and I, given all the circumstances she grew up with, whatever, but that's a big part of it. So on the one hand, I feel like, okay, I never, I'm not complaining, but it's like, I, I feel like I never had a father figure and then I've had my mom who's, who's been alive the whole time, but has her own issues, understandably so. And feeling like I've never really had a mom figure, figure, sorry. And, um, so I say now, because it's like, I, I, the older I get, the more I feel kind of gypped to be honest, as far as like, man, I, so I, I just wish I had a emotional support system in my family, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. And you said you're married now, right? Yeah. Uh, before years in September. Yep. Congrats. Is that, Thanks. is that part of it you think as you like, cause I'm sure, I'm sure that growing up the way you did getting married must have a lot of, uh, you must have to take a real deep breath and think long and hard on, on it. Is it, is it the type of thing that as you're setting up your marriage and, and, giving it the parameters and the stability that you want that you start to see it does the comparison between what you have now and what that is that starting is that one of the things that's helping to make you kind of have those realizations around this era of your life oh big time like my wife's family is like i said they have their own sorry i got blowing this um <laughs> they have their own issues but it's like springtime you know man it's just Hey, the the pollen's been killing everybody in 2018. If there's one thing, we live in a divided country right now, divided times, a lot of people button heads about a lot of things. It's getting really scary. The level of discourse in this country and how much people are living on extremes. If there's one thing that we as Americans can all agree on, the pollen has been out of control this spring. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say immigration. No, we can't agree on that by a long shot. Okay. I would say that's actually one of the oh, okay. one of the main central. From what I've picked up, that's one of the central things we actually oh, right. can't find any common ground on. But uh, pollen. Oh yeah, sorry. I thought I thought you were going different place. Yeah, pollen. I agree. Yeah, pollen. Uh, yeah, when it comes to like our economic policies, the way we're handling uh, North Korea and Iran, no, we can't. Uh, no common ground there. When it comes to uh, political discourse, yeah, not much. But pollen, I think we're all on the same page. It's been nuts. Oh yeah, it's the silent killer. You know, it's just terrible. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. Or at least makes you sneeze uh, more than you want. So yeah, so you're asking about yeah where yeah where I'm at now being married. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I was, uh, so my wife's family, yeah, her, her mom and dad have been married for uh, a very long time. Uh, I think since their early twenties and they're, yeah, just in their early fifties now. So they've been married a long time. So they, in a way, like I've told them before, they like, in some ways they've kind of, uh, helped me to see what, what that can look like in a marriage, like, you know, a, like, like a redeemed kind of marriage. Like it's, you know, something that's for the most part like healthy and good. And, but just in my own marriage, you know, so I, so I've had examples from them and from like other friends and people I've seen, um, families I've been around, but so my own marriage, it's a, it makes it a huge realization because I, and I'm sure, look, I'm sure most people feel like this when it comes to being married or having kids or career or whatever, but I just, I felt like I'm just making it up as I go along. You know, I have plenty of days, believe me, where I feel like, super insecure about being a husband and like, I'm just doing nothing but screwing it up. And, you know, it just, it makes me realize like, Oh man, I don't, I don't know what I really have to go on here. Like I'm, I am making it up as I go. So I'm sure, I'm sure you can relate to that being, I mean, how long have you been married? I'm I'm also coming up on four years in August. Oh, nice. August, nice. August 24th. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. You too. You too. I agree with what you're saying so, though. It's a, I feel like, and and again, I'm I'm very lucky. If if I had despite despite any problems I had, my parents, very stable people. I was lucky on that. You and I are opposites on that. But I'm sure everybody, sure. you get married, and you realize, oh, everybody's faking it. There's no guide. <laughs> there's no guidebook to this. There's no. There's no. Nobody gives you like a breakdown of here's the things you have to do to have a stable, happy, healthy marriage. You just kind of wing it and then hope it works out. I have to imagine parenting is the same thing. Everybody's just flying by the seat of their pants, keeping a straight face while chaos erupts around them at all times. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And I've, that's been a realization for me too, is the people that I would label as, Oh, they're, they're normal or they have their shit together. You know, it's realizing as I get older, exactly what you said, like, we're all making it up as we go. And that's what I appreciate about this show so much is that ability for people to share their story. And you get that sense of like, they're basically saying me too, you know, um, not to like borrow that phrase for what it's not meant for right now, but they're, they're saying like me too. And like my story, like I can relate to, I can relate to, you know, uh, what you're, what you're going through. And here's my story. And you listen to the show and that's the sense you get is like, Oh, they, they understand what I'm going through or they would get it, you know? And yeah, yeah I, I think could. to me that promotes so much more forgiveness and empathy because you realize, Oh yeah, we're all just kind of making it up as we go. Like that's very maybe nice. we don't have to hold some of these things too seriously. That's very nice. I feel like maybe, we, maybe beautiful anonymous, we can try to isolate like the catchphrase of like I as well, 
Meaning like I as well understand that feeling. I as well experience feelings like you're feeling because me too has been taken. Me too is taken. So maybe I, maybe we can go with I as well have experienced the emotions and pain you're feeling, even though we're very different people who live very different lives. I don't want to, yeah, I feel like I got to, me too. We got to let that one run its course with what, what it is, you know? Um, Oh no, I don't want to take that one away from what it is whatsoever. I think coming up with a new one, I as well is genius. Like what's wrong with it? I as well. I as well. Now, how'd you and your wife meet? You mentioned at some point early in the call that you found a surrogate community. I wrote that down because I found that phrasing interesting. Did you meet? How did how did this all come? What are these communities? How did your wife and you get together? What are we talking here? So, all right. Surrogate communities. We're going to hear more about those. I'm always interested in those. For me, it was uh, punk rock comedy. I wonder what it was for our caller. We'll find out all that and more when we come back. But first... Some ads, check them out. Products, services that might help your life. If you uh, decide to partake, use the promo codes. Helps the show when you do. We'll be back with more phone call. I want everybody to take a deep breath. Think about how you start your day. Think about how stressful. What a, what a, what a slog the morning can be. Is there any way you could improve that morning? Yeah, there is. There's a way you can have a breakfast that's worth skipping the snooze button for. Thomas's. It's the only breakfast brand that delivers a one-of-a-kind eating experience with its original Nooks and Crannies English muffin. There's nothing quite like that Nooks and Crannies texture. Perfectly toasted to give you irresistibly crispy edges with a soft, warm center. Take it from a true fan, and you guys have heard me over the last few weeks, you know I am a real fan of this product. The secret to revealing that perfect Nooks and Crannies goodness every time, gently pull your Thomas's English muffin halves apart. Use a fork to split them if you have to. No need to involve a knife in this. Okay, be gentle. Okay, treat that English muffin with respect. It deserves lightly toast each half, okay? And then as soon as it pops out of that toaster, you're going to want to top it right away with that butter. That way the butter just melts and pools inside those amazing little nooks and cranny spaces. It's a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. If you have not had them already, you have to toast and butter some Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English muffins. They're truly like no other. Thanks again to everybody who sponsors Beautiful Anonymous. Now let's finish off the phone call. You mentioned at some point early in the call that you found a surrogate community. I wrote that down because I found that phrasing interesting. Did you meet? How did how did this all come? What are these communities? How did your wife and you get together? What are we talking here? So, all right. So a big part of my story that I don't want to leave out is, and a lot of what I try and talk about whenever I get the chance to to share my story with people is this idea of of family in a broader sense, right? So I would say there's very much a beautiful anonymous family, you know, the Facebook group or people listening to the show, whatever. We're all kind of like a surrogate family to each other, you know, even though we're not related. And that's what I experienced growing up. Um, and I want to say that's how I feel about beautiful. I don't want to prescribe that on anyone else, but I, I, that's the sense I get from it. And so, you know, growing up, uh, I had people like I started going, I started going to a youth group when I was in middle school. And honestly, it was my saving grace. Like I went there for the free pizza and, you know, the free cookies or after school or whatever, like, you know, it worked. And I started going there and hanging out. And, you know, my, my youth pastor at the time was somebody that, was like, you know, he was going to the college that I eventually went to and graduated from. And he was just somebody that's cool. Like he'd come over and say, Hey, you want to go play basketball? And, 
you know, like just being around that environment was a huge influence on my life. And so like in the church, as I was growing up in the church, I found like a spiritual family, I'd call it, you know, just a surrogate family. And then, you know, going into college, uh, because of my upbringing, there were so many things I just didn't know how to do. Right. So I remember just not knowing how to do like the simplest things and just needing people to to step in and kind of help out. And I'd have so many questions. And so my roommate and then people I met at school or friends I made and then their families. And then as I started to go more in a track where I realized, you know, at the time in college, I, I started to major in youth ministry and I did a music minor. Uh, I was in a band for like seven years and was convinced that I was going to become a career musician uh, as a drummer. Like it was my biggest passion. But at the same time, I wanted to, you know, help people like I had been helped, like the family I had found. So youth ministry was just the immediate connection I made into like, well, this is what I've experienced in the church or I've, and I know so many people have so many different experiences with church, but you know, at that time, my experience was like, oh, these are people that care about me. This is like a good environment, positive communities, this family. And so, you know, that's like, that was, in middle, you know, growing up high school, college, and then coming out of college, you know, I, I like, it can be jarring for some people. And it was for me coming out of college and like realizing, oh, I'm not in this immediate, because I lived on campus all four years, like, oh, I'm not in this immediate connected community anymore. And it's just continued over the years to be the, like the different friendships I've made. Um, and I want to be really clear, like inside and especially outside of the church and like all types of people, the different like friendships and connections and relationships I've been able to like make. And at the end of the day, it was just people, especially when I was younger, that saw through the, the shitty situation I was in and like saw my potential as a person or they just treated me with dignity or respect and uh, just kind of cared for me through all my baggage. And those are the people that have the biggest impact on my life. And I'm sure a lot of people have those people. I'm, I'm sure you have those people, you know, just walk with you through all the crap and come out with you on the other side. And, and that's super meaningful. You know, that's, that's why where I'm at where I'm at. So wait, are you, you're a youth minister? No, not at all. No, I, no. I was going to say you've dropped no, a few too I'm, many F-bombs for a youth, youth minister. No. Yeah, that's, I don't, I don't know how much time we have left, but like, I, I could probably get into that a little bit. But um, yeah, it's just, it, you know, no, I'm not a youth minister. I, I work in, I've worked in the nonprofit sector mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, that's why I continue to do this day. Like I'm the director of a, uh, of a based nonprofit. Like we do stuff all over the state. And then, but we're part of like a larger national nonprofit that like, you know, I've, I'll do stuff in like other parts of the country as well, like similar projects. So, um, and is it, so I, 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 is it church yeah, affiliate? Is it, a, is it church affiliated your nonprofit? So it started out as like a, so to tie, tie some pieces together here. So I majored in youth ministry, but quickly found out like, okay, like I said, that's what I immediately wanted to do because that's what had helped me. But I realized very quickly through my family's experiences going through like, being like some, like a poverty situation, my dad passing away, like almost immediately after my family went through that period where they didn't have housing and then, then found a place. Um, <clears throat> I started volunteering in college at like a local homeless shelter. And I was like, I was putting all these things together in my brain of like my own experiences and then stories of like other people's stories I was hearing that were going through hard times um, that maybe their poverty was circumstantial or maybe it was generational, you know, but they were just going through it. 
and I started to put all these things together. And so, uh, like 2011 or no, it was still 2010. It doesn't matter. I, I started going around to like people and saying, Hey, you know, I want to do this charity idea that I have to just go out and be out in the community and help people and bring that sense of family that I had experienced like out, you know, into people that like just weren't going to church or whatever. And it was more than just to me, it was more than just, Oh, I'm trying to like proselytize or like, I was never about that. Never am. Uh, never have been. I just wanted to simply connect with people on a real level. You know, um, I didn't, you know, so, it, so we went out and we started doing, you know, this charity idea and I found out about this organization that was doing it nationally and contacted their, their founder and was like, Hey, what you guys are doing? I'm trying to do a similar thing here. Um, I don't, I don't know if it probably won't give too much away, but it was just centered around the idea of helping people pay for their laundry. So we started doing community events where we'd be, we'd go to laundromats, like work with the laundromat, work with local businesses, churches, whoever. And we would host like a free wash day and we'd bring laundry supplies and quarters and volunteers. And it just became like a third space in the community where people could connect with each other and experience that sense of family. And that organization, that work has become a really important part of my story because over the last few years, you know, I'll just be honest, I've really struggled. Like I've waned a lot on things I held to be like foundational to me from a faith perspective. And I really don't, if you like pin me down and I couldn't really tell, like I still believe in God, but I experienced so much terrible shit, like in the church and working in a church when I got out of college that it just threw me for a whole loop. But this is the one thing I've clung to that I know no matter what, here's the person I want to be. And here's what I believe in is helping people that have been through it that like I can relate to them and say I as well, you know, and like, like that, that's been the one value that stuck with me no matter what is I know that's what I want to do. I know I want to practically help people. And I know that I want to empower people that are going through things similar to what I've been through. And I want to treat them with dignity and with respect because that was always one of my big frustrations in the church and in the nonprofit world is that there's so much stuff out there that demeans people, doesn't treat them with respect, doesn't treat them with dignity, is actually selfish because we're just trying to push our agenda and our belief and like, you must think like I think kind of stuff rather than just saying, hey, you're a human being, you know, from a theological perspective, you were made in the image of God. From a non-theological perspective, you just matter because you're a person and you exist. So let's focus on that and push all the other shit to the side and just help each other out. And those are the things that, like I said, not, you know, sorry to get into all that, but not, you know, no matter what I've been working through personally from a faith perspective, I, I cling to that stuff. Yeah, that's powerful stuff right there. That, I would imagine, especially with your family experiencing some homelessness, that must bubble to the surface real quick. It's really, uh... Yeah, I mean, we go to these, we go, I go, you know, I go to launch mass all over the country, to be honest, and like, you know, I don't know, I hear so many people's stories, and I can, there are parts I can relate to, there are parts that I can't, but the one thing, like I said, that holds true is, you know, people are, much like this show, you know, people call in, you don't know who they are, where they're coming from, what their story is, um, but I think what you do a great job of, and not to, you know, be like too kiss-assy or whatever, is like, you know, you... And what you've done with me is like you listen and you ask good questions and you, and that's what I've seen people just beautiful anonymous, you know, community as a whole are really prone to do is 
is just empathize with people and treat them with dignity. And that's why I'm so drawn to it is because it is a diverse group of people coming from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of life and experiences. But the one thing we hold together and the one thing that's held together in me through all the stuff I've been through experience is that idea of just community and building each other up within that and how powerful that can be for each other. Thank you for the kind words. It's fun. It's so interesting hearing that you do stuff that's based through laundry. Here's the question I have that I think you'll have unique perspective on, both because of your personal past and because of the work you're doing now. The image of homelessness, especially I live in New York, so homelessness is a very visible thing. And you see people who are, I mean, very, very rough shape physically and very clearly mentally and emotionally. That's that's like the that's that's the tip of the iceberg, right? That's the tip of the spear. A lot of homelessness is people who are really, uh, you know, need things like laundry, please, because I have a job interview and I got to get the smell out of these clothes, and I think that might get me over the hump. And it's small things. Like I've, I've always heard that one of the things you can do is donate socks. That like socks are one of the big things that like socks fall apart quick, and then people's feet get messed up, and then everything else starts to fall apart physically. Because of that, it's there's this whole idea of like the cartoon archetype of a homeless person, which living in New York, you do see that. But there's also just the working poor and people who just really want to hold their heads up high. And it sounds like that's the type of thing you're doing. Yeah, the simple way I've heard it put before, because you're right, there are all different people that, you know, struggle with like have struggled in like a homeless or homelessness or poverty situation. But I've heard it put before. And the kind of work, you know, that I want to, I want to do and perpetuate is stuff that feels like, um, you know, it's cliche, but like a hand up, not a hand hand out, so to speak. So, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer in like, if you're trying to just engage with people and help them, like, and you have that just basic level of compassion for people, that's incredible. Like, let's run with that. And then as far as the more, you know, strategic ways of helping people, like there's a book called Toxic Charity by a guy, Bob Lupton, who runs a nonprofit out of Atlanta that I really love because it talks about all this stuff with how charity can be super helpful to people. And in so many ways it is, but if done in a way that like we're, we, we disassociate our head from our hearts, like if we're only thinking with our hearts, right, we're not putting our head there also, that can be harmful to people to where you know, and I just, I just go from personal experience, you know, like my mom, my family growing up, there were plenty of people that brought over groceries or did things to help us out. And it was always, always, always appreciated. I will never disparage it. But like, I know that at the end of the day, the things that really helped me get from point A to point B were the people that were willing to do things that, that were empowering or promoted my sense of dignity or self-worth as a human and that's what I want to do with my life, you know, is like you're saying, like I, people, there's, you know, there's situational poverty. I've talked to so many people that, you know, they had more money than I'll ever have in my life and, you know, shit went wrong and they just ended up in a bad situation, um, you know, and that there's people that it's generational, like it's all their, it's all their family has known for as long as they can remember and as long as their parents could remember, you know, and it's like, regardless of, of where a person's coming from or where they're at with it, it's just treating them with that dignity and respect. And it's thinking from a mindset of like, even if you, if like, if you're already doing something involving charity, it's like making a little, I just view it as making a little tweak. Like, what can I do that's, that's going to take this person from being a caricature, like you described it, like the classic things we think of with like homelessness or poverty 
what's the thing I can do to like help that person, like meet a basic need. I love that you said with laundry job interviews, cause that's stuff we talk about. You know, we talked to plenty of teachers who can't send kids to, or um, sorry, teachers who deal with parents who won't send their kids to school because they don't have clean clothes. Or I had a guy tell me one time, I just want to walk down the street and not have people walk to the other side of the street because I smell bad, you know? Um, so it's like meeting that basic need, like you were saying, but that's where I try and that's where we try and connect the two dots is like, yes, we want to meet a basic need, but also what's the deeper, you know, personal level of creating family or a positive community environment where people can, you know, build a support system or make connections to, to feel like people, you know, like at the end of the day, I just want people to feel loved and respected and celebrated as people, because I think we all have, you know, an inherent level of self-worth and that's what people showed me growing up when I didn't think so. That's powerful stuff right there. Hey, we got six minutes left. I want to make sure I ask. I bet a lot of people are wondering. I would I would regret if I didn't ask, how are your mom and your sister doing now? Oh, man. I feel, every time people ask me that, like, I feel a twinge of pain. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's, perfect, it's a perfectly reasonable question. Uh, but to be honest, like, while overall circumstances have improved, it's still, it can still be rough, you know? Um, my mom and I don't have like, like I said, I love my mom. I man, I have nothing but respect for her. Um, she's, she's really done her best, but she's just still continuing to struggle. Um, and you know, she's in a situation right now, like married to a guy that I don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel the best about it, but like, as long as she's happy, I'm good with it. Kind of one of those things. Um, and my sister, like she, she's, she's like viewed this situation very differently than I have. Like she, whereas I was always like, push, 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 get out, get out, get out. Like kind of like wanted to pave my own path, so to speak. Um, she, uh, she, I think has felt more demoralized by it or like has clung to it more. Um, and so she's in a good spot. I mean, she, listen, you know, trying to keep it in perspective, she is in college, like, she's on the track to graduate college to be like the second person in our family, which is incredible, you know, but then there's also things where I think it stunted some of her growth where, you know, she's just got her first job recently and she's night, she's 19, you know, um, like she, so she's had her own different struggles with it, but you know, I, I do want to say in regards to my mom and sister, like, and this is one of the reasons I love my wife so much is because she has helped me and like we together have made such an effort to continue to maintain that connection and relationship with them because, you know, I can say all this good stuff about kind of the stuff I want to do career wise, but if I can't do that within my own family, like try to maintain a, a good relationship with my, with my immediate family and keep that connection, then, then it's worthless. So, you know, at the end of the day, look, I love my mom. They're doing, they're doing pretty good. I just, I just want more for them. I don't know if that makes sense. You know what I'm going to say about you? I'm going to make a bold proclamation here. I feel like right. I feel like your life experience is uh is living living proof and furthered efforts towards the idea that people are more than they seem on the surface. Oh man. I'm so I'm so glad you said that. I first of all it's encouraging, but secondly, that's I just want, I want to make it clear to like everyone listening. That's that's what I hear in everybody's in every single story I've heard on beautiful anonymous and like every person that shares is like, and I, I'm sure you hear that, but just, you can't, you cannot 
what what be and again i don't mean to be like a kiss ass but like what beautiful and honest is doing is so important because you can't just take the book by its cover sort of deal like you have to get to know people and find like we're different and we should celebrate our differences and acknowledge that we're different and unique but at the same time like we have things in common that should bring us together and we should let that happen also you know I think so. What's the story in in your in your work with charity in in these efforts you're making with this organization? Do, are there any examples that come to mind of the person who your initial impressions of them were? Uh, where you were most blown away by how different the story underneath the initial impressions were? Like, how do you mean? I think so, but clarify. Like, have you ever yeah. met somebody in your efforts? Because I'm sure you meet people. It sounds like you do a lot of work where you meet people who are in hard circumstances, maybe live in hard lives. Mm -hmm. Maybe they walk into the room and your initial instinct is to go, whoa, okay. And you think you have some sense of who that person is. But then when they actually get talking, uh, yeah. you hear their story, you realize, oh, there's so much more to this than I knew. Yeah, just off the top of my head, there's there's one woman that um, she's been in a few of our, our projects and uh, you know, just come to find out, like, you know, so she's there, she, for all we know up front is she's here, she's doing her laundry, like, you know, we're, we're trying to make that connection. And then, you know, come to find out, like, she's someone that uh, works in a local elementary school, helps kids day in and day out, um, raises her own kids, and even goes so far now as to, like, donate to our projects, you know, laundry supplies, things like that. And we meet, we meet tons of those people. And that's one of the things I love about it is that idea that, okay, somebody's coming in with this, but you know, we want people to be able to volunteer and give back and help out and be a part. And there's so many people doing great things in the community that you just wouldn't know it on a, you know, on a, on a weekend morning coming to do their laundry. So yeah, that happens all the time. I, that's, that's one of my favorite things. we got about a minute left. What else do we want to get out there? I just want to say that you know, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate this community. And it's been a big help to me over the last few years hearing people's stories. And like you said, let's not co-opt a really important phrase, me too. Let's, let's have our own I as well. And let's keep doing that. Let's keep, let's keep saying I as well. I think it's powerful. I want to thank you for fighting the good fight. Reacting to your own, uh, yep. your own early circumstances and now trying to uh, get out there, see if you can't help some other people get through their own adverse circumstances i think that's pretty cool thanks man and hey go Cavs. let's go knicks come on man we gotta go knicks these knicks are gonna bounce back. Uh, let's go Cavs. they're in the they're about to get i don't know boston boston's up 2-0 yeah. at the time of this recording it looks like these days may be done LeBron. my friend these days you LeBron. think one word lebron you think lebron's gonna LeBron. ha like rise from the ashes and carry them above a 2-0 deficit i think not my I mean, amigo yep. i don't and know rise like a phoenix and destroy them yeah destroy rise the like Warriors. the phoenix suns I don't know why I said that. Didn't make sense. <laughs> Caller, thank you so much for calling up. And uh, I hope I hope by the time this airs that, uh, I don't know, uh, do I want? I don't hope the Cavs win. The Celtics, it's a better story. And it's tough as a New York fan to root for a Boston sports team, but they're the underdog story. So I hope you've actually received bad news as far as the Cleveland Cavaliers go. But if they make the Eastern Conference Finals, I root East. So at that point, sure, go Cavs. Anyway, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for talking about the painful stuff. Thank you for uh, talking about the future stuff, the hopeful stuff, the stuff you hope to accomplish in the world moving forward. I wish you all the luck in the world. I think we are lucky to have people like you who on a grassroots level 
trying to help others. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you to Harry Nelson and Jared O'Connell for coming all the way to the Gethard Jobs to deal with a technical nightmare day and, and slugging through it. Thanks to Shell Shag for the music. Thanks to Greta Cohen and the Reverend John Delore for helping me build this show in the early days. ChrisGeth.com is where you can go find all my road dates. I got a lot coming up, so check them out. Maybe I'm coming to your city. Maybe we can hang out. I think that's all the rigmarole. We'll see you next time on Beautiful Anonymous. You guys can hear it in my voice. I was up late last night. On a morning like this, it's hard to find a reason to get out of bed. Oh, wait. No, it's not. Not when you have some Thomas's original nooks and crannies English muffins waiting for you. There is nothing quite like that irresistible nooks and crannies texture. Perfectly toasted, crispy edges, a soft, warm center. How the butter pools inside those little nooks and cranny spaces. It is just amazing. It's delicious. There's a burst of flavor in every warm, toasty buttery bite. Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English muffins are truly like no other. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, what happens when you randomly receive one million dollars? You're not going to tell me about all the things in your life that don't involve a million dollars. I know I live a life that doesn't involve a million dollars. I know what it's like to go on the subway and eat at Subway and do everything. There's nothing that involves the word Subway that rich people uh, ever come within sniffing distance of, huh? Oh, I eat at Subway. Look, that's why you're the cool millionaire. You're the chill millionaire. You're the chillionaire. <laughs> you're the chillionaire. That's my new nickname oh for you. God. You're the chill millionaire. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous.